0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matyszewski, and joining me today is the awesome Coach Steve-O. Say hello. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, So, break the ice for the whole audience. Do you have any big plans for the weekend?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Big plans for the weekend? Cutting a bunch of episodes of my own podcast. That's Which was actually not a plug. Like, exactly what <laughs> I'm worried about right now is getting all of that done. <laughs> <laughs> no, plug away. Like, what's your podcast about? Uh, uh, the podcast is called The Better Cast. Um, it's a it's a podcast all about getting better at things. Real stories of people um, learning new things and making small changes in their lives, and the unexpected consequences that happen from that. Uh, we interview regular, everyday people um, who've who've undergone. Um, some who've learned something, have gotten better at something. And we also interview experts, uh, experts in motivation science, and learn a bit more about what's going on uh, with w- when people try to stay motivated to do something.
0: That's awesome. I, I think more people need to start listening to podcasts because like there's <laughs> such good information out there. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I started this podcast and I was telling my clients, they're like, what's a podcast? I'm like, <laughs> well, if you go on your iPhone, there's actually a built in app for podcasts. And they're like, yeah, exactly. Really?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, I, had to, I, I added the better cast to my tango instructors, po- uh, <laughs> iPhone today. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. Actually, yeah, That's what I've done in the past too. Is like, I'll take my client's phone and like subscribe five star rating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's unfair. Yeah. That's, that's, That's how, how dare you game the system like that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But we, we, um, we record a bunch of episodes all at once and then cut them together. Uh, and they are, yeah, we're, we're, we're making, we're adding to the production more and more. We're, we're getting better as we're talking about getting better. And yeah, we're on episode, uh, 10, which will come out next Monday and we're moving up to a one a week schedule, which is, uh, we're, we're we're excited about that. So if you're interested in real stories of people getting better at stuff, check it out. Uh, BetterCast on, on iTunes.
0: That's awesome. I, I still remember when I recorded my first episode and sometimes I'll like go back and listen to it. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> it was just so bad. D- don't listen yeah. to it.
1: <laughs> I did 12 uh, burner episodes, 12 episodes that I knew I wasn't going to keep. And just to get better at the skill of interviewing. Um, and it's, I'm really glad I did that. Because we only, we ask people just the same two questions. What is something that you were less good at that you're now you're better at? And how did you get better at it? And whatever happens after that happens. And that's what we, that's what we have.
0: That's awesome. Um, so for the audience who don't know who you are, can you tell them who you are and what you do and how did you get into this whole habit thing?
1: Uh, well, I'm Coach Stevo, as you said, uh, and I've been helping people get better at stuff now for over ten years. And it started as a it started as a journey to help improve myself, as most most people who get into this whole coaching thing uh, do. And uh, I became a, well, skip some steps. <laughs> I became a personal trainer after years of working on the internet and being a sommelier and. Um, Marine Corps officer candidate, a whole bunch of other stuff and, uh, really fell in love with helping people who said, who wanted to get better. And my first, but the, the real big divergent step for me happened when my, my second paying client, uh, I met her. She, she asked if I was a personal trainer and I said, good news. I'm not just hanging around in the gym being creepy. I actually am a personal trainer. Um, and I started, she said she, her doctor said she needed to lose 15 pounds. So I said, oh, that's great. It's an easy, that's a totally easy thing. We'll do, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And she looked at me like I was crazy or at least just, or at least wasting her time. Um, this is the benefit of, she was a 79 year old person and she had all the benefits of just not having any time for my bullshit. She looked at me and she said, yeah, I know all that. That's not why I want to pay you money. I I want to pay you money because I can't make myself do those things. And I had this moment of pure panic because the only thing that I knew how to do, the only thing I had been taught, the only thing I had been tested on to get my certification was you tell people to do stuff and then they do it. That's the only tool I had in my tool belt. So I said, "Oh." oh, hell, I need to go back to school and learn some stuff. So I went to graduate school uh, and got a, a master's in sports psychology. Uh, with a, And my my dissertation was on uh, creating uh, technology interventions for uh, sustained behavior change. And I got really into the motivation science of stuff. and uh, founded a company called Habitry, Habit R-Y, Habitry, that teaches coaches about motivation science and, um, uh, we make the Bettercast and and we do consumer programs and corporate programs for people who are looking to build new habits and to create positive motivational climates for their their uh, for their clients, for their members, for their employees, all that stuff. So I'm the CEO of Habitry and, and that's what we do, and that's kind of the a short version of how I got here. Awesome. So what exactly is
0: motivational science? Uh, to be honest, motivation science is a, is a catch all term that we made up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, Trademark.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, uh, cause we, we, we had three areas of, um, of study, like three content areas of, of social science that we kept ref, uh, referring to separately. And we're like, I always put them all together. And that was habit formation, uh, the study of motivation and the study of, uh, willpower. And we kind of lumped those together and called it motivation science. And there are there are major theories that are involved in each one of those. But we, as a company, are interested in the way that all those all that stuff intersects and interacts. And so we called it motivation science. And and that's the the area that we work in.
0: Okay. Do Do you believe in motivation, or is it just like some made up term that some guy made
1: up? <laughs> Oh, no. Motivation is a very – it's a feeling. It's an emotion. Motivation is a feeling generated by the limbic system under certain predictable conditions. And it's just as real as fear and anger or grief. It's an emotion that uh, our brains have developed as a as a function of evolution to let us know when we are in a safe space to try and experiment and do things. So motivation is an emotion. Um, and it's very, it's, it's very real.
0: Okay. Like – I find, like, a lot of people fall into that category where they're, like, oh, I'm not feeling motivated today. I am just feel lazy. I'm just going to watch, like, a whole new season of Lost. <laughs> like, I always, like, wonder, like, it's so easy to fall into that little, like, habit and cycle of just, like, eh, that looks too hard. I'm just going to do this instead. Like, is there any way around that? Or is there any, like, anything out there that can help you prevent that from happening? Uh,
1: in, in general, when um, people feel that, that motivation wane. Um, what, what's happening there is, is that you're forgetting why you got into it in the first place. Other stuff has become a priority, uh, or you're, uh, not able to dedicate the resources you had in the beginning. And so you're feeling a a change in the level like that. So, for most people, when we actually call that a motivation wave, and it's cresting, and, and it usually takes about three weeks, we call it that. And we even have a name for it. We call it the habit hangover. So when someone gets really into something, the motivate like their the novelty of it, um, the 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 sense of, of potential, and and all of that stuff that makes us feel like so much is possible is there in the beginning, in the first two weeks, and after two weeks things start to get harder and they start to, and other stuff comes up like life and children and traffic and, you know, cake, all that <laughs> stuff. And, um, it just starts to kind of chip away at that novelty and chip away at the initial wave. And and we, and it crests. So most of the time, it's just a simple matter of reorienting. It's just, uh, or, 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 Uh, managing our expectations about what's possible in three weeks and asking ourselves, what is it about this that we like? What is it about that is interesting? How can we keep maintaining momentum even if it's at a lower pace? So when you have a big wave of motivation, doing as much as you can to make things, to change your environment, to make things as easy as possible to maintain that momentum when you don't give a shit anymore is the key to main is to keep to keep going when you're not feeling motivated. So it's one thing to be like, ah, I'm super motivated. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna uh, you know diet super hard, and then you go on that diet, and then you uh, for like two weeks, and you're like, eh, screw this, and you eat a piece of cake, and then you're like, you know what, I'm I'm screwed forever. Uh, I'll never make any of my goals, and then you eat the whole rest of the cake. Um, it's another thing. If you say, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose some weight. You get super excited. You buy healthy things for your house. You get rid of the stuff that isn't, that you does not gonna eat, help you eat in accordance with your goals. And you change your environment so that when the wave crests, one, it's harder to actually get the cake. So it's easier to stay on your diet because you don't actually have the stuff around the house. And two, when you do do something that doesn't eat, that's not acting in accordance with your goals, it's easier to bounce back and go, hey, it's no big deal. I'm just going to start again today. And uh, making sure that you're crafting in your environment and you're treating it as a learning experience as opposed to an all or nothing thing. Man, that just blew
0: my mind. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, for me, like, to stay motivated, like, Right now, I'm, like, really focused on, like, building my podcast, building my business, and, like, any time I kind of fall into, like, a slum, like, oh, things are not moving right, like, things are not going as fast as I want them, and then I go search up on YouTube, like, Gary Vaynerchuk, and the Mm -hmm. amount of, like, energy he, like, like just puts out into the world, I'm like, F yeah, I'm going to fucking do this, right? (laughs) So is that, like, one way of keeping yourself motivated is, like watching an inspirational video or is there other like things that you could do?
1: Uh, there's a lot that you can do. Um, and in fact, watching super high energy motivated people is, is kind of a double edged sword. Um, Cause it creates, a, again, it creates like a false sense of expectation. Like, Oh, this is the only way that I can be if I want to be successful. Or this is the only way forward is to be like Gary Vee. when there are plenty of like quietly competent, successful people who are not Gary V and, so doing that stuff can work in the short term but in the long term it might actually be painting us into a corner. And so when we do lose motivation then we start to feel like well Gary V never feels a lack of motivation. Um well the answer that's not true. Like <laughs> Gary uh and and it's also do we really want the life that Gary V has? Like I look at Gary V and I feel exhausted because like I have a a wife and I want to have kids and and there's a lot of stuff I like doing that's not work. So that's not what Gary Vee's advocating, so I'm like, oh, okay, cool, that's not for me. Um, like, like really digging into the why, really digging into what it is about the thing that you want to do and why you want to do it, to really understand from a self-awareness standpoint what your values are, is the best thing you can do for a long-term sustained motivation. Because then, every time you're starting to feel that wane, you can look at your, look at your life and look at your choices, basically. When you go... Do I want this? If the answer is, yeah, I do, but what I really want is a night in and to like watch some watch some Netflix. That you, you then you can a- you're able to make that decision from a place of strength. You're able to make that decision from a place of. I can always go like get on it tomorrow and I'll be even more refreshed. Like to think of it as a learning process, to think of it as a journey and to really get in touch with your values to understand what it is you want, why you want it because over the long haul, the stuff that get, keeps you motivated is the stuff that you do because it gives you sense of your life, a sense of purpose. And that includes eating kale. Like that includes all the little stuff. If you can look at it and go, why do I want this? I want to eat kale because I want to be a good example for my children. I want to eat kale because, you know what, I like it. It tastes good. I like it with salads. I want to eat kale instead of cake because I feel better when I eat kale and I'm a person of integrity. Like if that stuff really, like if you're saying that and you mean it, then the temptation to do other things goes away. And that's a weird thing to say, but it totally does. And this is the work of Marina Skaya and um, uh, Michael Enslicht. Uh, and, and they're two Canadian social psychologists. The more internal your goals, the more the goals are coming from within you and the more that they are aligned with your core values, what's called self-concordant goals, the less likely you are to even notice temptation. You don't even see it to re- and you don't have to resist it because you don't care. I really like salads. I don't have to resist burgers when I want a salad because I like salad. Like, and that's the way that most success, people who are successfully internalizing behavior change operate. It's because it's aligned with our values, not because we're making ourselves do it.
0: Well, it makes sense because like, when I get a new client and I'm like, okay, what are your goals? They're like, well, I want to lose 15 pounds. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. well, well why do you want to lose 15 pounds? She's like, well, I just want to get lighter. I'm like, well, why do you want to get lighter? Well, I feel better when I'm lighter. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of, you got to keep peeling those layers until they're like, well, I want to lose a 15 pounds because that's when, before I was married and before I had Mm -hmm. kids, I I felt the best. And I'm like, okay, well, your real goal is like, you just want to feel better. So let's Mm -hmm. just implement all these little things to get there. Where sometimes people like, oh, I need motivation to lose weight. So I'm going to go on Instagram and follow all these like bodybuilders and fitness models and just look at their shirtless selfies every single day.
1: That's yeah, I kinda... call that I call Instagram an eating disorder delivery device.
0: <laughs> Seriously, yeah,
1: like yeah. I don't know and, how that helps people. Um, it does in the short term. That's the funny. Like, so motivation is a a theory called self determination theory. That's the the like the granddaddy of of motivation science. It's the the most well established, well proven um, framework we have for understanding why people do what they do. And at its core, one of the central tenets of Uh, of SDT is that motivation is multivariate. We do things for lots and lots of reasons, both conscious and subconscious. We don't do anything for any one reason. And the more, uh, the longer you do something and, and, and really think about how it's impacting your life, the more you internalize the values of it. But the reality is, external reasons. I do this because I want to look good naked. I do this because someone told me to. I do this because I'm getting paid or because I fear being punished. Those work. They work. They're a form of motivation. They just work in the short term. They just—it's like writing checks that you can't quite cash yet. You—you, you, it'll work, but there's a downside later. Um, and that's kind of the way that I think about long, like. Uh, the the guilt and shame and stuff like that is when someone comes to me because they want to lose weight, I never judge the reasons they're telling me. I I go, I just start digging a little bit deeper and start asking them more about their experience because it takes about nine to 12 months to really internalize this stuff. It takes like nine to 12 months before you really start to think about those internal deep reasons why we, why you do things. So it's a process. It takes time. And the most important factor in it is feeling like you have autonomy, feeling like you can get better at it, and feeling like the people that are helping you actually like you. So as a coach, the best thing I can do is just be hella interested in people and be hella interested in their experience and to let them know that whatever they tell me, I'm not going to judge them as a person. It's totally fine. If you want to look good naked, that's rad. Looking good naked's is awesome. Um, or if you, know, you really want to make your ex-wife jealous – that's cool. Let's work on that. But I also am going to keep asking about it. I'm going to keep bringing it up because it's a process. There's no such thing as like the goal and then you meet it. It's always, always, always a process of whittling it down, making it more personal, making it more real and genuine. That's just the way humans work. So
0: what would be like the best strategy to kind of keep motivation going for a long period of time than kind of like the short three to six weeks?
1: hmm Um... First, and uh, first, and and this is often such an obvious thing that I forget to say it. Uh, doing it with other people you like, whatever it is that you're doing, um, doing it with another small community of people who you who you think are cool or who you like or who you at least think don't judge you. Um, and that can be a coach, or it can be your peers, it can be your friends, it can be strangers on the internet. Finding a, finding a tribe of other people who are also trying to do this thing, whatever it is is absolutely key. Uh, Humans are social animals. We evolved in social groups. And as as a matter of reality, people rarely change themselves. However, being with other people changes us all the time without us even noticing it. So if you can spend time with other people who are also working to meet these goals, who are also trying to become better versions of themselves – a lot of this stuff is going to be easy and natural. So finding some other people to keep you inspired and keep you motivated, um, by actually interacting with them, not just putting their picture on your wall or looking at them on Instagram, like people to reflect with people to be like, here's what I learned. Isn't this cool? And for them to go, that is neat. Here's what I learned. That's absolutely key. We call those intentional communities. So finding your tribe, finding your intentional community. And then, uh, Beyond that, really taking the time to reflect with those people, to ask yourself what we call the two questions. What did I do well today and what did I learn today? Uh, It can be towards your goals. It can be not. As long as you take the time to reflect on what you're doing and how it's impacting your life. What did I do well today and what did I learn today? And then finally, uh, setting goals that are process-based. So instead of I'm going to lose 15 pounds a goal that's more like, I'm going to show up to the gym three times this week. Something that you have 100% control over, 100% control over, that you can adjust as you learn more about what it is that you want. Something that you can dial in. So we write what are called habit statements. I'm 90 to 100% confident that I will do X when I Y for the next seven days that I will do X is the trigger and Y is the X is the X and Y is the trigger. I will go to the gym when I wake up for the next seven days. I'm 90% confident. If you can write a statement that, that feels honest, that I'm 90, that you're 90% confident that you can do that's a hundred percent under your control with other people who are you, you that you like um, and reflect on it. That's the best system I know of for, uh, for maintaining motivation, and and not just I'm not just saying that because I invented it. It really is <laughs> it really is the best way that I know of to to maintain motivation over the long haul. Um, is to find that tribe, set those process goals, and to reflect on your progress.
0: No, like the whole idea of like having a group doing it with you is just huge because mm-hmm. I think the moment I switched from just training private session to semi-private was a Mm -hmm. big like tipping point for me because then like the person that you're training and they see the person to the left of them and the right of them they're like oh you're in this too just like me and then they start talking and they're like they end up not leaving the gym anymore Mm because they're they're, they're still talking and I was just like man this is like this is it this is what we need Mm -hmm. rather than you know having a private session where the client's looking at this trainer like, man, you got this figured out, you're fit, <laughs> you eat healthy, I'm like, yeah. nothing compared to you.
1: I know. Uh, and it's, it's the funniest thing, Is like we as coaches forget, or we, we have this illusion that, that people are identifying with us. It's like, no, they're not at all. They think we're some weird, like, monk person that's got <laughs> all of life figured out, which is complete and utter bullshit, <laughs> yeah. but... um, Getting, other, getting people with peers, because they, they, they see themselves in those peers, uh, getting people together like that is huge. Short of that, one of the recommendations that we have for coaches, and I stole this from, from my mentor, Dan John, I watch him do it all the time, is telling stories about other people like them. If you can't get, uh, if, you, if, if for some reason, group training is not available to you as a coach, just telling your clients stories about other clients with their permission, of course, um, just telling stories about other people like them is huge because it lets them have a sense of community even when there's no one else there.
0: Yeah. Like I love training women cause like one, they don't really understand how strong they can get. Mm-hmm. And then when I get a new client, that's a woman and I start sharing stories about the other women I train and how strong they can get over consistent effort, and I oh, always yeah. like I always tell them this one story with one client that she's been with me probably five years now, mm-hmm. and I'm like she can deadlift over 200 pounds, she can do six <laughs> strict like chin ups, and she's a mother of three working a full time job, and then they're like, oh my god, I want to do that, <laughs> and they almost yeah. get like excited because they're like, oh, if that person's doing it, I could do it too.
1: There's, there's just so much fun to teaching a group of older women to deadlift because as soon as they see someone do it, they also all they want to do. They just want to deadlift every day. <laughs> uh, I, my my bread and butter when I was a, a full time coach was um, a full time uh, personal trainer, to be more specific, was women between 45 and 90 years old. And all my classes were, were like professional women. Um, and it was like, The first time you you tell someone about a deadlift, they're like, that's no way. I'm absolutely not going to do it. And then they see an 82-year-old pulling 125% of their body weight for reps, like casually. (laughs) And then they're like, I need! I have to do this. I I absolutely have to be able to do what that 82-year-old is doing because it's so cool. Yeah, and it's also interesting because it's like when they get
0: introduced into that environment, I always have a couple like female clients – almost every year where they're like, you know what? If I didn't start coming here, I don't think I would have gone to the gym at all. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, this is the longest I've ever stuck to a workout plan in my life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I, and there's so much, um, I mean, there's so much in there there's the, there's the community aspect for the relatedness. There's the, the, the growing sense of competence because they're getting better at something they care about, um, and then there's the autonomy, the feeling like that they're actually in control. They're in the driver's seat. is huge. But the other great thing that happens when you put a bunch of people together um, is uh, there's this, uh, a, a really another important foundational theory of social science called social cognitive theory. And social cognitive theory is a theory of human learning. And it says that mm, basically all of human learning is done by modeling. We watch other people do it and then we think we can do it too. Uh, and that, that sense that you can do something because you saw someone else do it is called self-efficacy. Uh, it's like self-confidence, but it's more specific to a task. And there's no faster, the, the, the six, um, well, I'll just do the top three, uh, most important contributors for self-efficacy are, have you done it before? Because past experience predicts future performance. Um, have, can, have you seen someone that you identify with do it? So if you see someone else like you do it, you're far more likely to believe that you can. And finally, vicarious—that's called vicarious experience. And finally, um, imagined experience. If you can picture yourself doing it, you're far more likely to be able to do it. So you put all those together. You put a bunch of people together, and they're like social—they're doing the social cognitive learning thing, just on fire. Like it's just so much more powerful because they're seeing each other do it. They're um, remembering other times when they pulled something else like that off and yeah it's just it's just a perfect environment for learning it's a perfect environment for pushing yourself is that safe like group of your peers who are also trying to do a cool thing together
0: definitely um so the second thing you touched on i think it was goals right Mm -hmm. um what's like the best strategy to kind of come up with a realistic goal because i find a lot of people kind of shoot for the stars and they kind of aim for this big goal and they end up just failing and they're like, wow, this is never going to happen, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, one, I think the first step towards really good goal setting is realizing that goals are, goals are not fixed. Goals are not, and if, if, if they are fixed, you, you are intentionally setting yourself up to fail. So if you actually want to succeed, set a goal that you're comfortable adjusting this, this, this adjustable, um, this dynamic. And, and because once a goal is, once a goal doesn't feel fun, it's no longer a goal, it's a burden and you're not going to do something you're burdened with. So be set a goal that you can adjust. Um, then give yourself permission to change that goal based on what you really want. So if you find out that like you have set, set a goal of running a marathon, and you find out that you actually really hate running and you get you keep getting injured, that's not going to be super great. So instead of a, a, a super like performance based outcome like that, set so something that's more process based. Set so something that says, "Hey, why do I want to run a marathon? I want to run a marathon so that I believe so because I want to be a disciplined person." Well, great. What's another way that you can that, – that proves to yourself that you're a disciplined person that isn't a marathon? How about showing up to the gyms three times a week for a year? That's, that's a goal that shows a lot of discipline and is completely under your control. So finding things that are under your control to, um, to swing for the fences with but to give yourself permission to change your mind, to keep going, to keep moving forward but to kind of adjust course. So that, that's a, my favorite goals are the ones that are that are dynamic. Um, they're they're adjustable, and they're always aligned with who you are as a person and a person of integrity. So that's that's my personal advice for goal. There's other acronyms out there, but if you're like smart, specific, measurable, adjustable, realistic, and timed, like that's a super cool thing. But as long as you do you're constantly iterating towards, being your best self you're constantly iterating towards doing stuff that you feel is important and it gives your life purpose you you're gonna you're gonna find that meeting those goals is gonna get easier and easier
0: i like that like the idea of like being able to adjust your goals because sometimes say yeah your goal is to go to the gym three days a week and Mm -hmm. you have that in the back of your head and you're like oh my god i'm trapped like i have to do this and then you almost end up like hating the idea of going and you end up just like Oh, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, that actually has a name that's called reactance. Uh, oh. It's a psychological term for when you're reacting against feeling controlled. So the the, the, the funny thing is, I mean, you're always – if you set a goal that's 100% under your control, then you're not being controlled. You have control over that entire process. So setting a goal like I want to – like I will go to the gym three times, uh, three times a week for the next month. If that feels controlling, then adjust it. Make it two. It's fine. <laughs> like you can adjust it um, the key, and, and then learn from it and then go, well, what was it about two that was less scary than three? Well, after you've done twice a week for a month, then the next month, try three. It'll be a little less scary. You'll have a little more self-efficacy. You'll have a past record of, of performance um, and it'll snowball. Like it'll keep getting easier and easier and easier. So yeah, adjustability is huge. Giving yourself permission to to take control over your own goal setting is huge.
0: Yeah, like the next thing I kind of want to jump into is the whole idea of like creating habits, and especially now, like in our industry, habits are kind of like king. Why do you feel or know that you know habits are the way to go to be successful in anything in life?
1: Um because habits are a force of nature they're going to happen whether you try to whether you try to use them or not um, habits are a way or uh, an evolutionary mechanism in the brain to outsource thinking uh, a habit is a subconscious loop that your brain does so it doesn't have to spend precious calories and time thinking all the time so if i wake up um, and i have a tooth and my toothbrush is always in the same place and I never have to think about grabbing my toothbrush and brushing my teeth. Then it's, e- it's far easier to brush my teeth. I don't even have to think about it. It doesn't take any time. It's super fast. And I can think about other stuff. If uh, the toothbrush is always in a different place, then I'm not going to really be making a habit. I'm always going to have having to find the toothbrush to remember to brush my teeth. And it's really hard. So the brain develops these little loops to, to, to make new habits easier. If we didn't have this, then it would be impossible to drive a car because it's such a complicated like act that we would never be able to learn how to do it. Um, Somewhere between 45 and 55% of daily human decision-making is habitual. That's how frequently we're using habits to make decisions. So this is going to happen whether we try to exploit it or not. So why not try to use that force to our advantage? Um, That's, why habit formation and trying to use our like outsource decision making to our environment is so cool is because it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't it's fast. Uh, well, it's it makes our makes the decision itself fast. It takes a long time to actually build a habit.
0: Yeah, that. So car, I was going to say that car uh, example you gave is like so yeah. true because there's times where I'll be driving and I get to the destination. I'm like, I don't even remember how I drove here totally. And you're like that's kind of scary like if you're not really paying attention and you're just driving along.
1: Mhm. Yeah. That I mean that's and there's oh, so much thing, so much in our life that are like that are complicated behaviors that are a result of a of an amalgam of intention and habit. Like that's our whole lives. So a habit by definition has to be subconscious. And what we're trying to do is essentially arrange our environment to program our subconscious mind. And when we are extremely motivated or when we're having those waves of motivation, it's the perfect time to put in the initial effort required to do that. Uh, Dan John actually calls these shark bite habits. You do it once and it takes care of it. And then you don't have to think about it again. Um, It's just like a big old bite out of the problem. But I think the reason that they're, I mean, that's the reason I think they're so awesome. The common mistakes that I see people making with it. Are not, uh, not thinking, not thinking it through in a consistent way about how to actually make the triggers work. Because the key to a habit is it has to be triggered by something in your environment. Um, you're either your social environment or your physical environment. It, you can't. Tr- it's not a habit if you have to keep trying to remember it. That's not going to work. You have to make it automatic. So a great example of a way to build a habit to make the good decisions just a little bit easier is putting out your gym clothes, putting out your gym clothes at night so that they're really easy to get in the morning. That's, that's like something your grandmother would tell you to do, but that's exactly why it would work. Like this is stuff is really old. This stuff these, these suggestions are as old as time, like making little, like making little changes to your environment to make things easier for yourself. And the little addition that we added habitry is a little moment of reflection at the end of the day to check, to see if the habit was getting easier or not. So instead of just putting your shoes out, putting your clothes out and then never thinking about it again, take the time at the end of the day to say, Hey, did that thing that I did work or not work? Did it make it easier? Well, how did it make my life easier? Is there anything I can do to make it a little better? So reflect on the way that you're actually trying to change your environment to see if you can iterate and make it a little better every day.
0: Yeah, like what I did uh, recently, like I've been reading a lot about like meditation. I'm like, yeah, I got to start doing it. Like I got to mm-hmm. get on it, but it never happened. And I'm like, okay, what can I do to like set myself up for success? So I was like, okay, first thing in the morning is probably going to be the easiest for me. And then I'm like, I'm going to set it in a reminder. that will go off right at like 510 in the morning because mm-hmm. I'm at that time, I'm like on my phone, like just scrolling through Facebook mindlessly. Yeah. And I'm like, I might as well just get an app. And like you search up an app. There's so many different meditation apps. And I downloaded one and it actually like worked for me. And I was able to do 30 days straight of just five minutes of meditation because I have an app on my phone rather than like, OK, I'm going to go sit down in my chair, close my mm-hmm. eyes and breathe.
1: Mm hmm. And, and the important thing to note is that it's going to be different for everyone. If there was a magic app that taught all this stuff, it would be the best-selling app in the world. <laughs> yeah. But everyone's a little different. So, And that's a, another great thing to remember if you're trying this stuff is that it's all an experiment. It's all trying to figure out what works for you. So if the app doesn't work, it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It means that the app was. <laughs> try something else. Like And to just be constantly trying to, to, to tweak things, to kind of massage and, and, and iterate and get a little bit better at something. I was talking to someone um, who also was working on the meditation habit. And his big issue was that everything in his life was super micromanaged. And he actually wanted to try to let go of that. Well, so forcing himself to meditate was actually a terrible idea. To try to let go of stuff. So what he did was um, every time he noticed a moment that he wit that he that he wanted to be more present in, he would just take a note of it. He would just say, oh, this is one of those moments. this is like this here, this is one of those moments. And it just started cr- building a little like groove in his mind that every when he, when he wanted to have that awareness that meditation would give him, he would just make a note of it, not even write it down, just go, oh, this is one of those moments. And when, after a little while of doing that, he would try one thing, take a deep breath, notice what he's smelling, notice what he's feeling, and only for half a second. So instead of like trying to sit down and meditate for five minutes, he would just try to be more present in a a random moment in the day that he felt he wanted to be more present in. And he would use the same skills to try to keep awareness of that moment. And that was the key for him. I couldn't have ever recommended that for someone because it was so weird. But it worked perfectly for him. And... I thought it was so cool because he was like, I tried every other kind of medication. It wouldn't work because it was like trying to like kind of program spontaneity, trying to program fun. Like it doesn't (laughs) work that way. How can I be more spontaneous? I'm just going to notice the moments where I could be and then try for just a half a second to keep it. And that was the big that was made all the difference in the world to him.
0: Now, when it comes to developing a new habit, like, is there a certain time frame you need to be able to do it in? Or is it like you could do it two days straight and then you're kind of just set, like everything's going to be automatic from that point?
1: Uh, it, it it all depends on context. Um, and there's a lot of variables. But what we know from habit uh, automaticity research, how long it takes something to become subconscious, uh, is that it a range from 18 to 254 days. That's a huge range, Hmm. 18 to 254 days. Uh, So that basically means that there's no one answer. Like it's going to be a lot of different things. So if, for example, you move to a new city, you start a new job, you meet a bunch of new people, it's going to be really easy to form new habits because you don't have a lot of old habits to fall back on. You're in a completely different environment with completely different people and forming habits is really easy. For example... Quitting smoking is one of the hardest habits to break, but I did it pretty much overnight just by getting a new job and not telling anyone that I was a smoker. I didn't have smoke breaks with people that I smoked with to like keep reminding me that I, to, to go smoke. Um, I didn't have built-in times where I went smoking, like, and I just stopped smoking because I was in a completely new environment with completely different people. And I had a completely new identity as a non-smoker, so it happened really quickly. Um, That's really rare. It's a really rare time in someone's life when that happens. What we're left with, most of us, is trying to change things while we also have old habits that are kicking around in there. And for that kind of stuff, that 18 to 254 range is pretty applicable. Uh, But the only thing that matters is putting in the reps in consistent context so missing a few days actually from the, the same researcher who stu- who found uh, habit automaticity time frame she found that missing a few days doesn't actually hurt missing a few days as long as you get back to the con- is get back to the context and keep putting in the reps in the consistent context you're good you're good to go you'll you will build a new habit what matters most is being consistent so it's not so if you want to work out if you want to build make the habits of working out It's doing it at the same times, doing it at the same time in your schedule, going to the same place, taking the same route, like being consistent with all all the stuff around the behavior you want to do, keeping the triggers the same, Um, putting your clothes out at night, doing it at the same time, doing it at the same part of your schedule. Like just try to be consistent with the with your environment and it'll work out uh, if you just keep putting in the reps.
0: Yeah, I find if you like, I tell that to every client. I'm like, they ask me, "What's the key to success?" I'm like, consistency, honestly. Because yeah. yeah, I remember when I was doing uh, this whole like 30 day meditation challenge for myself, and it was like day 20, 21, or something like that. And I woke up and I walked the dog first rather than meditating. And like halfway through my walk with my dog, I was like, "Oh shit, I mm-hmm. need to, I need to get back to get home and do my meditation." And mm-hmm. I just like, and I was like, "Oh." I guess it's a habit now because like I feel like I'm, mi- I'm missing something in my life that is almost so automatic. Kind of mm-hmm. like the same idea. Like if you forget to brush your teeth in the morning and you're off driving to work and you realize it, you're like, "Oh my god, I need to brush yeah. my teeth."
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, the things to watch out for in that in that time are when you the environment changes. So if you travel or you have house guests, anything that disturbs your environment, you'll probably notice you'll forget to like, you'll actually forget to meditate. It won't, you won't even notice it's happening until you're later, you realize it. So weird example. Um, I moved in with, uh, my now wife about a year ago and I lost the habit of brushing my teeth, which sounds disgusting and impossible, but <laughs> I was in a completely different environment. I had a completely different routine and I'm still struggling to remember to brush my goddamn teeth. Like, like, that these things are fragile. If you if your environment isn't severely disrupted, so be aware of that. If you if you want to main if you want to keep meditating, put something to remind you. Even if you think it's automatic, and when you travel, think ahead. Is this something you want to do when you travel? Is this something you want to do when you have house guests over? When your environment is disrupted, do you still want to meditate? The answer might be no, and that's totally fine. But just be aware that the thing that's reminding you to do it is something subconscious in your environment, and that's a fragile thing. It could go away. No, that's a good example because when my wife moved
0: in, Mm -hmm. the biggest thing was like, where the hell is the remote? I'm like, I always (laughs) leave it here, and now I have to look for it. That's some sick stuff when you start moving the remote around.
1: Yes, that is... That is punishable by death. That is awful. <laughs>
0: it's like I need to get onto Netflix right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm momentarily inconvenienced. I, yeah. This is awful.
0: Um, going back to habits, why do you think it's so easy to break it? Like, if someone's trying to, you know, get healthy and they're like, "Okay, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start eating healthy," and they do it for that first week, and then mm-hmm. next week it like just all falls apart, and they're like, "Well, okay." <laughs>
1: Um, there's a lot going on in those, in those moments, uh, there's a lot going on for motivation for, for the habit and, and, and things like that. But the first, I think the one of the most important things to note is that, um, going to the gym is not just one habit. It's a collection of a whole bunch of little habits because the habits by definition are subconscious and you're never going to wake up, put on your gym clothes, go to the gym, work out, come home and then go, wait. Where did I just go just now? What just happened? Why am I sweaty? Like that's – so it's not one big habit. It's a bunch of little things. Um, So it can be anything along the – like anything in that chain could fall off and make it just a little bit harder to get to the gym. And then when you notice it, you feel like a failure. You feel like you're not competent. Your motivation drops because you're not having that basic psychological need for competence met and then you have a sense of shame about having missed a couple days and then you're like fuck it why go, why not why go at all i guess i'm just a failure like that happens a lot so doing anything you can to break that cycle whether it's to look back to take a moment to reflect to look back on what fell apart in your routine to see if you can fix anything or to just give yourself permission to have missed a few days be like hey that happens everyone misses a few days it gets it always gets hard <laughs> in fact, it's a great uh, um, lesson I learned from my jiu-jitsu coach. It's not training until it's hard. You're not really learning until it's difficult. So congratulations. You're now learning. What did you learn from this experience? You learned that shit gets hard after two weeks. Okay, how do we make it easier? How can we keep the routine? How can we keep, uh, how can we keep reminding ourselves about why we want to do this in the first place? Um, what about being at the gym do we like? Like, take a moment to reflect on those things. Tomorrow's a new day. Get back on it.
0: Now, do you think stress has anything to do with, like, your success rate on developing new habits?
1: Um, stress is another just, like, basic fact of life. Uh, and... There's there's two kinds of stress. There's distress and eustress, and those are reactions to environmental stress, like one is positive and one is negative, Um, but it's all just a matter of perception. Um, I think what what comes into play more often than not is priorities. We all are dealing with limited time, and when stress comes comes along, like your kid is sick or your boss says you need to come into work early, that's stress. The question, and that stress disrupts the priorities that we have for our day. It disrupts where we want to spend that time and that energy. Um, there's a big difference between recognizing that and going, where. what are my values? What are my priorities? What are my values? And what are the things that I need to do today to live in accordance with those values? And making your priorities from a place of control, from a place of strength, versus just feeling like you're being buffeted along by life. So... Stress, yes, absolutely, has comes into play. But what we do with that stress has a bigger impact on our performance than than just the fact that there is stress. Because stress is a universal. Um, obviously, some people are having to deal with a lot more than others, and everyone is not equal in terms of the amount of that is being asked of them at any one time. But I think that like approaching. Your priorities from a place of autonomy instead of approaching your priorities from a place of being controlled by them will make all the difference. So I love when clients come to me and say, I can't do this right now. I've got all this other stuff going on in my life. I'll say, hey, I really want to say great job. Great job on looking at your life and going, this is the stuff that needs to go and this is the stuff that can stay when things are hard. Because that's a real skill. And that's something that like, adults have to freaking do. So first, congratulations on that. Second, if there's anything that we can do, if there's anything that you can do to feel like you're still maintaining your momentum, even if it's just a little bit, while you're going through this other stuff, let me know. We'll work on it. We'll figure something out. Like whatever, because most people feel like it's all or nothing. Most people feel like I have to go to the gym nine times a week or zero times a week. So actually working with people to help them live life in accordance with their values, to reprioritize things, but still maintain momentum. Most people don't even think that's possible. So actually presenting options is huge and thinking, wait, there's, I could go to the gym once a week for a while and still feel like I'm making like being a person of integrity uh there's lots of ways to approach those problems that are not just well it's stress therefore i quit
0: yeah like i wish i could always like almost like shake my clients because sometimes i don't think all of them put fitness as a priority because like the moment they get a little bit too busy or something popped up at work or their kids have too many like soccer practices and things like that they're, they tell me, "Oh, I need to go take a break from the gym," and I'm like, "I, I don't know what's going on in their lives, but I'm like, do you really need to do that, or is there like a different time that you could do? Can we drop down frequency during the week? Like,
1: I see. I, yeah. I love those conversations. I whenever someone's doing that or or, or bringing that up, I get excited because that's my job as a coach. Like that's what a coach does. A coach has those conversations and I'm like, Oh yes, an opportunity for that conversation. I love it. Uh, and then I get just hella interested in what's going on in your life. Cause that's interesting. And that's like, that's where our jobs are. So I think that, and, and that's my favorite part of being a coach is, is, is working with people through that stuff. And when one of the mottos we have at Habitree is remember that we are their fifth priority and be happy about it. Being someone's fifth priority is great. It's, it's huge. It's super high up on the list. But if someone – I don't want to be their first priority because if I'm – like if the gym is more important than their family or their job, then that person is a, needs help. Like that's a bad sign. And working with someone as their fifth priority is a great place to be working with someone. And if I need to drop down to to 10 for a little while, that's great. That's fine because I can let them know that I really appreciated the work that they put in and they can always come back and be – and when they're ready to be the fifth priority again. But it's a great opportunity to have that discussion because most of the time when people – when you let people go, (laughs) when you give people – like the worst fear is not realized and you don't judge them and you, you really care about what's going on in their life. They are open to going, Oh, I guess I can come back. Yeah. I guess I can do one day a week or I guess I can do some workouts at home and will my life will be better for it. So I love that stuff. That's my favorite kind of conversations to have with clients are the conversations where they think they're about to be judged, but then I actually i'm actually so interested in their lives that I, I don't judge them and want to help more
0: do you ever have clients that kind of you know when they say they want to take a break and you kind of start asking all the questions to kind of figure out why they're saying that but they keep mm-hmm. kind of giving you almost more excuses and you're like you're still not giving me what i want yeah
1: all yeah. the time yeah um and, and but that's one of the one of my, my my personal slogans is I've never lost a client. I just have a bunch taking a break. Uh, <laughs> I never, never, they've never quit in my mind. They're always, um, and they're never a quitter in my mind. Uh, and I always pr- welcome them to leave. Because at the end of the day, it's their choice and everything's optional and they're autonomous adults who can make their own choices. And I know from research and I know from experience that the more that I have that attitude, the more that I have the attitude of you're an adult who can make your own choices, everything is optional. Um, And if you want help meeting your goals, I'm here for you. The more safe they'll feel, the more uh, autonomous they'll feel and the more likely they'll feel motivated. So... Yeah, it's really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating when you see someone acting what you think is not in accordance with their values. Um, But the more unconditional positive regard we can have for them as a person, the more likely they are to come around to to actually gain the self-awareness of going, actually, my life is better when I work out. My life is better when I eat kale. And it will work itself out. I can't motivate anyone. I can't make anyone do anything. Even if I put a gun to someone's head, it's still their decision. They, they're the ones who make it. And the more that I embrace that, the more that I'm comfortable with that, the more motivated my clients end up being.
0: Oh, that's really good insight. Like I think more people need to hear this kind of stuff than like, <laughs> you should be eating th- this food to lose your belly fat. <laughs>
1: like,
0: <laughs> um, so yeah. I'm, uh, I have a couple more questions. Like we're almost at an hour, so I'm trying to like get everything in, but um, mm-hmm. is there anything that has like changed your mind in the last kind of few years on how you're coaching clients?
1: Oh man, like all the time, <laughs> <laughs> like every freaking week. It, it's just, what's one of the cool things about being like a, uh, an evidence-based company that teaches science is <clears throat> we have Google alerts that come in with new studies about motivation science. Like this stuff is just pouring into us and we have to make changes all the time, especially uh, right now because there's a reproducibility crisis going on in social science. It's kind of nuking a lot of the theories that we've been relying on for understanding why people do what they do. So yeah, a lot of stuff has changed. Um, even in the past year and sometimes we have to write 50,000 word blog posts to help explain it to coaches. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, just for specific examples, uh, um, one of the main things that I've – that changes kind of constantly is metaphors. We I'm constantly on the lookout for new metaphors, new ways to try to explain things, new ways to kind of connect with people. And I've changed a lot of the metaphors that I've used when I've realized that they're falling flat or they're not working or I hear a better one. And I always hear better ones from clients. I always hear better ones from from actual people. Uh, And that's why I love doing the better cast is because I'm having like honest conversations about change and people are telling me their real experiences and the whole time I'm like, that's a really great metaphor for that. That's a really great metaphor for that. Um, And I get to steal them. It's great. But yeah, metaphors, um, new ways to teach things, new cues. uh, There's just so many different new ways of doing things. And sometimes something comes along and just nukes the way you understand stuff. For example – uh, the found, like the foundational theory for the experience of willpower uh, of the last 30 years has been something called ego depletion. And uh, last year, a bunch of scientists got together and tried to reproduce the original studies that ego depletion is based on and couldn't do it. So almost 30 years of, of, of science was wiped out overnight. Wow. And the explanation that we have about for the mechanism for willpower was no longer right or wrong. We don't know. It might be right. We don't know. The, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's the, the, that's the thing. We just want go went back to not knowing. So, uh, I mean, I had to literally go back and edit our old teaching material to pull out references to explain willpower with this metaphor because the metaphor was no longer, uh, scientifically accurate. So, yeah, I mean, that, That's something that came along at and not only changed the way I thought, I had to change old writing to make sure that I wasn't full of shit. Yeah, well, like that's kind of how I gauge if I've
0: even learned anything this past year. So, Mm -hmm. like, like at the end of each year, I like think back. I'm like, okay, what am I doing differently that I did last year? And if I can think of like a few things where I'm like, man, I can't believe I used to do that. What an idiot! (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I'm going in the right direction.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And one of the cool things about uh, about hanging out with people who've been doing whatever you're doing for a really long time, um, it, wisdom, like, when I say wisdom, like I mean like what people say when they mean wisdom to me means uh, getting more and more comfortable with what you know is probably true and getting more and more comfortable with not knowing the rest. And my favorite coaches, like my mentor, Dan, uh, Dan John is really comfortable not knowing on a whole bunch of stuff. He, he knows that he doesn't know the vast majority of answers and the vast majority of stuff. What he knows is how to get people stronger. That's it. He knows how to get people stronger. He doesn't know if it's good or it's bad. It doesn't know like if it's good for their sport or good for them as people. But what he knows is how to get people stronger. Um and he's just really comfortable with that other stuff that he doesn't know, and he's excited to learn about it, but he's also not it's not keeping him up at night so i don't know I strive to that i strive to 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 emulate that kind of laid back like yeah, we don't know that we're just guessing attitude yeah
0: like I've probably mentioned Dan John on. This podcast, a bunch of times, and other people too, they're like, Oh man, yeah, he's the man, you got to go look him up. Mm -hmm.
1: But uh,
0: he's just like so simple, and like, there's so many other professionals out there, they're like, Well, according to science, and there's like this process and that process, and then Dan will say something so simple, and you're like, Oh my god, you're so smart,
1: (laughs) yeah. Because at the end of the day, like Dan knows the science, but he also doesn't let it get in the way, and I don't mean like as a huge science cheerleader. What I mean by that is, most people's everyday experience of getting better at something does not need science to explain it. Like it's a, it's about an experience, it's about a journey. And Dan, the thing that Dan's so good is good at is helping you understand that journey from experience, not just from a like mechanism standpoint. And one of my favorite quotes is like, "I don't care why it works or how it works; I care that it works." And oh, that's, de- definitely. That's a, kind of a powerful thing because he's, he's, he's genuinely the smartest person in strength and conditioning. He's a Fulbright Scholar. He was the youngest Fulbright Scholar in history when he became a Fulbright Scholar. The man is brilliant. But he's, he's so much more interested in being simple. And his, one of his model, mo, mottos is if it can be simpler and still produce the same result, then it's better. And he's always trying to make it simpler. Like it's an active process for him. I lived with him for six weeks and his true, like that's the way he goes about every single thing in his life. It's like, can I make it simpler? Well, it, did it work as well? Did it get better? Did it get worse? Like he grades things. He grades everything on a scale <laughs> to see if it's simpler. Like this is an active process that he does and it's all to make his life easier. But, and so that he can focus on the stuff that matters. It's great. That's awesome.
0: Um, so last question, I started doing this since my last episode, do mm-hmm. you have a morning ritual if you have one and what do you do for it?
1: Um, it's a, it's changed a bunch and it, it's kind of always in flux. Um, uh, and that's more, that's more of a product of, uh, one being an entrepreneur and two having pretty significant ADHD, uh, <laughs> is that I'm always struggling to get and maintain into routines. Um, and right now, the routine that's working for me quite well is I wake up. Um, I help my wife make the bed or I make the bed, depending on on who's left in it. <laughs> and uh, I come downstairs and I put away the dishes. Uh, well, sometimes I'll pee first, but I put the di- we don't have a dishwasher. We dry our dishes in the rack. Put, the act of putting away the dishes um has been profound for my entire marriage. That sounds messed up, but it's totally true. <laughs> when you have hella ADHD it's a constant negotiation and fight to be aware of things. and um, uh, my my wife set me down and was like, you you're not doing dishes like you're not, you're putting your dishes in the sink and then I, and not doing them. And I had to be like, yeah. Cause there's dishes in the, like, I'm just, I would just be piling more dishes on top of the dishes that are there. And then it's like, okay, well, if the dishes weren't there, I would, it would be really easy for me to, if the clean dishes weren't there, it'd be really easy for me to do the dirty dishes. And then I said, great. I need to make sure that when I wake up that I put away the clean dishes so that I can always do the dirty dishes. And that sounds so simple. And that sounds so stupid but when you have ADHD, it's not that it's not that easy. So I woke up and I started putting the dishes away every morning. And that little act has made everything about my day just a little bit easier. And I reflect on it. I don't really reflect on, it. I, reflect on it. I reflect on it with her, with Cat, with my wife. And we actually are like, yeah, that actually helped our lives in these like 57 ways that we didn't know it would help just putting away the dishes in the morning. So now that I've had that, like, reinforcement of, one, competence, like, I'm actually good at it, and relatedness, it helped my wife out, um, and autonomy, like, I did that, I feel really motivated to keep doing it. So, I make sure that that's a part of my morning routine, just putting those dishes away. Um, And, yeah, I mean, other stuff happens after that, but, like, that's the most recent addition that really impacted the rest of my life, is doing the dishes. Well, sometimes... uh...
0: Sometimes being simple is like the best way to go. (laughs) No, I know. I know. Uh,
1: There's a lot more that I do, but uh, that was, you know, in the interest of time, that was the thing that was the biggest change lately. Uh, So very last question,
0: where can people find you online? If you have any projects coming up or seminars, things like
1: that, let them know. Well, uh, the, the thing right now that we're working the hardest on and we're the most proud of is definitely the better cast. The thing that I, (laughs) <laughs> pitched in the beginning um, so just go to iTunes uh, habitry.com slash bettercast or search for bettercast um, wherever you get your podcasts and uh, if you're a, a regular person who's interested in habits check out habitry.com if you're a professional who's interested in uh, the motivation science aspect of stuff and helping your clients check out habitry.pro.po habitry professionals uh, and eh, if you're just a human who's interested in learning and hearing stories about people getting better at stuff, then check out the better cast. That's uh that's what I got
0: to pitch. Awesome. So I want to thank you so much for your time. This is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. All right. That's it for episode 35 with coach Stevo. hopefully you guys enjoyed that one. And again, if you guys can go check out the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Cut the Shit, Get Fit. Uh, You can check out the website at cuttheshitgetfit.com. And if you can share, subscribe, rate, and do everything you can to tell everybody about this podcast, I'd greatly, greatly appreciate it. And I'll continue giving you uh, awesome information and great interviews. Until next time.